It's good to be back with you guys this morning. Uh, hope that uh, you guys enjoyed last week. I heard that Saba did a great job, uh, preached a great message last Sunday. So, uh, but it's good to be back with you. It's good to be back here with everybody. Um, we've been in the middle of a series on the kingdom of God. Uh, it's been an eight-week series just talking about the concept of the kingdom of God. Jesus talked a lot about that. So we've been talking about what is that, uh, what does that mean. Um, and uh, but this week, I decided to take a detour. Uh, last night really just felt like uh, God wanted me to go in a different direction. Uh, there was a specific um, message that he wanted me to give this morning. There was a specific uh, passage that he wanted me to preach. And so we're going to take a detour, and um, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, but I, I, I'm confident that this is what God wants this morning, and I, uh, I believe that God wants to talk to you this morning through his word. So uh, I hope that, that you are all ears and listening. Um, have you guys ever been out riding your bike, and maybe you've got a slow leak in one of your bike tires? I'm not talking about the kind of leak where you have a nail and it just, I mean, immediately goes flat. But I'm talking about one of those slow leaks, and you can't figure out where it is, but as you're riding, what happens, right? It starts to deflate a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and the more it deflates, what happens? What happens to you trying to ride that bike the more it deflates? Well, it slows down. It gets harder, right? Because the more it deflates, the harder you have to pedal to keep the wheels turning, the more difficult it is, the more energy it takes to keep that bike moving when it deflates, right? Life is... Life is a little bit like a flat bike tire. We don't intentionally take air out. Sometimes it just leaves and we begin to feel deflated, kind of like a bicycle that's riding with a slow leak in one of the tires. And it's just harder to pedal with flat tires. It's not as fun to live when the air has leaked out of our lives, just, as, just like it's not as fun to pedal that bike the more air leaks out of the tires. It becomes strenuous. We don't know where the air is going or how it's leaving. We just know that these little things begin to deflate. It's a difficult conversation that we have to have, and a little bit more air gets left out. It's a tough day at work, and a little bit more air gets leaked out. It's more bad news, and a little more air gets leaked out. It's being overwhelmed by our circumstances, and a little bit more air gets leaked out, and it seems to pile on top one after the other. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 is a passage that we often take people to when they're coming to Christ. And we, we, we carry around the weights of our guilt and of our shame. We carry around the responsibility to try and live up to the standards that God wants us to live up to. We carry around the responsibility of pleasing other people and always feeling like we're coming up short. And so we take people to Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. We show them there's a better way. You don't have to do that. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of you this morning need to read that passage again, and you need to believe it again. At one time, you found rest in Jesus, but now you're restless. At one time, his yoke was easy and his burden was light, but now you feel 
as if you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. At one time you saw Jesus as gentle and lowly in heart, but now you see him as a disapproving and reluctant Savior. You need to remember this morning that Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 has not changed for you. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as you didn't earn his favor at the start of your walk with Christ, you can't keep it as you keep going. Just as you couldn't carry all of those burdens by yourself before you became a Christian, you can't carry them by yourself now. This morning, you need to hear the Savior saying once again, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 13, comes on the heels of a chapter that they call the, the, the Hall of Faith. It's Hebrews chapter 11. And it recounts the stories of people throughout the Bible, these men and women who uh, went through difficult circumstances and they trusted God through those difficult circumstances. And then, uh, after recounting these stories, we read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. I'm going to read it for you real quick. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which, so, which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you're reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and you're not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the, to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us, our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed." Hebrews 12, 1 to 13 is a call to run the race with endurance. How can we do that? Well, there's three things that we can do in Hebrews chapter 12 that we see to be able to run this race that we call the Christian life with endurance. Because, you, know, you, you want me to be honest with you? I know a lot of you guys are tired. I know a lot of you are tired. And you feel like you can't push through anymore. You feel like you're hitting the wall. This is it. I can't, I don't feel like I can go any further. If that's how you feel, this message is for you this morning. So number one, first we need to look to those who have gone before us. We need to look to those who have gone before us. 
The author of Hebrews starts off and he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Well, that great cloud of witnesses is all the people that he just talked about in chapter 11. I'll give you a couple of examples. He talked about Abraham. In Hebrews 11.8, we read this. We, say, we read in Hebrews 11.8 about Abraham that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham followed God's call to go, and he didn't even know where God was calling him to go. Are you uncertain about your future? So was he. Did God let Abraham down? No. So is God going to let you down? No. Are you any less a child of God than Abraham was? Do you think Abraham deserved God's favor on his life more than you do? We know that's not true because in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 we read that Abraham was counted righteous in God's sight because he believed God. Not because of his bloodline, not because of the good works that he had done, because he believed God he was counted as righteous before God. And Galatians chapter 3 verse 7 says the real children of Abraham are those who put their faith in God. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, you are a child of Abraham. We also see in Hebrews 11 that Israel crossed the Red Sea. It's another act of faith. Verse 29 says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. If you don't know the story, God's people are in slavery in Egypt, and actually in a few weeks we're going to be starting a series going through the book of Exodus, going through those stories, and it's going to be awesome. But Israel is in slavery. God redeems them out of slavery, and he leads them out into the wilderness. But when they go, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, changes his mind, and he decides to chase them. And so they've got the Egyptian army behind them, and they've got a giant sea in front of them. And they're trapped. They're afraid. The circumstances seem impossible. There's no way out. But God told them, just trust me. And God parted the Red Sea. And they walked right through the middle of it. And when the Egyptians tried to pursue them through the Red Sea, the waters came rushing back in. Is there something God's calling you to do that you know that you're supposed to do, but you've been hesitating because it's scary? Are you in a cir some circumstances right now in your life that seem impossible to get out of? Crossing the Red Sea is impossible, apart from God. Escaping the mightiest army on earth is impossible apart from God. But nothing is too difficult for God. My friend uh, Troy Cooper always says, you can't begin to imagine the joys that are awaiting you on the other side of obedience. How many of you are the types of people who never want to be the first ones to try something risky? Like, uh, I, don't, I don't do these anymore, but I remember one time I went to um, a haunted house for Halloween, and I don't endorse them because I think it's, it's silly, but um, I remember going with some friends, and I was like, I am not going to be the first one through that door. No way. You go first, right? Or maybe you've gone cliff jumping or something like that, right? Uh, some of you got, like, Curtis is probably like, woo, I'll just jump off the cliff, you know? <laughs> Curtis doesn't care, but me... I don't want to be the first one to jump off the cliff. Why? Why do we do that? Because we want them to go first, so if they don't come up out of the water eventually after a couple of minutes, we know I'm not doing it. We want to make sure they come up, right? 
So we let Kurt, guys like Curtis go first. So we know that we're not going to die. We've got to look to those who have gone before us. Here's the thing, guys. We're not the first ones to follow Jesus. We're not the first ones to place our faith and our trust in God. God, over and over and over again, has proved himself faithful and able to bring his people through the most difficult trials. And if he has brought them through, and you're a child of God, he's going to bring you through. Number two, we need to look to Jesus. We need to look to Jesus. Look at verses 2 to 4 of Hebrews chapter 12. Looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. We run with endurance by looking to Jesus. You may be tired, but you're not as tired as Jesus was. You may be suffering, but you haven't suffered the way that Jesus suffered. You may be tempted, but you haven't been tempted the way that Jesus was tempted. And Jesus endured. He endured for the joy, that, that thing that was on the other side of obedience, the joy that was set before him. Now why is it good news that Jesus endured? Is that just to inspire us? Maybe you're saying, I need more than inspiration right now. I need an infusion of strength. Inspiration is not enough to get me through what I'm going through. Listen to this. Listen to Romans chapter 8 verse 11. Here's what it says. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. Did you hear that? That is amazing. That means that if the spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that, that spirit dwells in you if you're a Christian. That means you can't die. If the Spirit of God lives in you, you cannot die. And if you cannot die, you cannot fail. We don't just look to Jesus as an example if we are a Christian. We are united with Christ. He doesn't just give us an example or inspiration. He gives us power. His victory over temptation is your victory over temptation. His ability to endure suffering is your ability to endure suffering. His ability to persevere through exhaustion is your ability to persevere through exhaustion. Because His Spirit dwells in you. You don't have to do this on your own. You don't have to keep working so hard. Jerry Bridges says this about unity with Christ, about being united with Christ. He says, to live by the gospel then means that we firmly grasp the fact that Christ's life and death are ours by virtue of our union with him. What he did, we did. This is the only sense in which we can understand Paul's bold statement in Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Unity with Christ means that everything that he did 
It's as if you did it. Everything that belongs to him belongs to you. That's what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 to 23, when he said, all things are yours in Christ Jesus, whether Paul or Apollos or life or death. All things are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. You cannot run the race with endurance if you take your eyes off of the gospel. You won't finish. The strength to endure the Christian life is found in one source and in one source alone, and it's Jesus Christ. That's why it's even possible for us to obey the call to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus. Nobody can obey that on their own. Nobody can obey that in their own strength. It's impossible without the Spirit of God dwelling in us. You know, that, uh, that phrase in that verse that I read it says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. I used to think that what that meant was the joy, that joy that Jesus was talking about was heaven. And then I, I had a Bible teacher one time who pointed out to me that it couldn't have been talking about heaven because Jesus was already in heaven before he came to the earth. So Jesus didn't need to come to earth to leave heaven and come to earth to experience the joy of heaven. He was already there. He didn't need to leave. He could have just stayed if that was the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? I want you to get this. It was you. It was you. It was me. We are the joy that was set before Jesus. What did Jesus come to purchase? What did his blood, what did his blood buy? It bought his church. It bought the bride of Christ. It bought you. How does that help you endure? Because Jesus thought you were worth it. He went to Gethsemane and he prayed, Father, if there's any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. He sweated drops of blood at the thought of the weight of your sin and of my sin and all the shame that comes with it being put on his shoulders, but you were worth it. He let people that he created slap him and mock him and spit on him because you were worth it. He was whipped over and over until he was unrecognizable because you were worth it. Nails were driven into his hands and his feet and he hung naked on a cross as he was mocked because you were worth it. He came to buy you out of slavery to sin. He came to rescue his bride, the church. He came to rescue the very people who had rebelled against him, the very people whose sin put him on the cross in the first place, and he looked at us and he said, I choose that one. Tell me, Christian, when's the last time that you looked at Jesus like this? When's the last time that you reflected on what he endured for you? For you. I don't know what you're going through, but you can endure because God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He proved it. You can't undo that. He proved it when you were at your worst. I don't care what you do tomorrow. I don't care what you did yesterday. He already proved it when you were at your worst. I don't know what it feels like to have the weight that 
you might be carrying on your shoulders right now, but you can endure because 1 Corinthians 15 says that He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we look to those who have gone before us. We look to Jesus. And last, we need to endure with the end in mind. We need to endure with the end in mind. Look at verses 5 to 11. The author of Hebrews talks about discipline. He says, he says that, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves, and he chastises every son that he receives. One of the greatest lies of the devil is, is that if you are going through a hard time, it's because you deserve it or because God is displeased with you. That's a lie. That's called karma, not the gospel. The gospel doesn't operate according to karma. Karma says you get what's coming to you. The gospel says you get what you don't deserve. There's a version of the gospel out there, and it's a dangerous version of the gospel that you'll hear a lot of people preach, and there's a good chance you're going to hear it if you flip on the TV and you watch one of the TV preachers, and it's called the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel says that, that if you believe in Jesus, he's going to make all your problems go away, that everything in your life is going to be good, that he's going to meet all the needs that you have, he's going to give you everything that you want, and that life is going to go well. That gospel is going to let you down. It's going to say if you have suffering, it's because you didn't have enough faith. It's baloney. It has nothing to do with how much faith you have. It has to do with who your faith is in. See, according to this passage, Hebrews chapter 12, we should actually be more worried if we never go through suffering. It says that, that if we are left without discipline, then we're like illegitimate children. What kind of father doesn't discipline their child? So if your earthly father, you know, disciplined you, and maybe you didn't have an earthly father, you know, maybe you didn't get to experience that, that's okay. You have a heavenly father, and he loves you, and he's going to discipline you for your good. And he tells us why he disciplines us in verse 10. Hebrews 12.10 says that he disciplines us that we may share his holiness that we may share His holiness. God's desire for your life is holiness. And if you are a Christian, He's going to get you there one way or the other. Because without it, we can't enter heaven. Without holiness, we won't be in the presence of God. Listen to me. I want you guys to hear this. And I don't want you to forget it because I promise you that maybe even later this afternoon, Satan's going to tempt you to doubt this. It might even happen later today. So listen closely. If you are a child of God, no suffering that God allows you to go through is retributive. Meaning, God will never pay you back for your sin if you're a Christian. God will never pay you back for your sin if you're a Christian. The suffering that you endure if you're a Christian is not payback from God. But I promise you Satan's going to try to tell you that it is. He's going to try to tell you that the suffering that you're enduring is because you deserve it. God's paying you back. But if you're a Christian, that is a lie. Jesus took every single ounce of wrath that you deserved on the cross in your place. It has all been spent. All of it. He drank, the, he says, he drank the cup of God's wrath to the dregs. 
That means like even the little scraps on the bottom. There's not any of it left. He took it all. The suffering that you're enduring, that's God getting you ready for glory. That's God melting the dross of your sin. That, that word dross, this, the Bible uses the metaphor a lot of gold or silver being refined in a fire. I don't know if you're familiar with the process, but whenever uh, we mine for gold or for silver, you know, we'll dig it out of the earth and it'll be mixed with other metals and rocks. And so how do they, how do they get it pure? Well, they put it in extremely hot fire, right? Blazing hot furnace. And it melts away the impurities until all that's left is solid gold or solid silver. So the more a, a metal like silver or gold has been in the fire, the more it's worth. The more valuable it is. The more precious it becomes. Christ died to restore you back to the way that he created you. Holy, blameless, without blemish. Perfect. That's what he's working in you through your suffering. I love the way that 2 Corinthians 4.17 puts it. I love the way Paul says it in that verse. He says, he says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like my outer self is wasting away. I don't feel like I have anything left in the tank. But he says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Every ounce of suffering that you are going through is preparing you for an eternal weight of glory. Not one part of it is meaningless. Not one bit of your suffering is wasted. You may not see it now. You may not understand the reasons right now, but it's not meaningless. When you're tempted to think it's meaningless, that's why we have this. Look to the promises that God has given you in His Word. If you're struggling with sorrow this morning, if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with fear or doubt or guilt, now is not the time to quit. Now is the time to lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. A cloud of witnesses has gone before you and God saw each one of them through. Jesus said in John 6, he, I love this, he said, this is the will of God that, that I should not lose even one of them that you have given me. Not one. Not one. A cloud of witnesses has gone before you and the spirit of the risen Christ dwells in you. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8, Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh that he's got. He, we don't know exactly what it was. He didn't tell us, but he says it was a messenger from Satan sent to torment him. So obviously it was something, something, some kind of suffering that Paul had in his life. But listen to what he said in verse 9. He says, he says I asked God to take it away three times and God says no, said no, and then God said this, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. God was saying, my grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. 
It's only when you are emptied of your insufficient strength that you can be full of God's sufficient strength. A cloud of witnesses has gone before you. The spirit of the risen Christ lives in you. And God's discipline is working holiness in you. When your strength is spent, when your comfort is taken away, when your heart of broken, remember, not one bit of it is wasted. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Come to Jesus once again this morning. You who are weary and heavy laden and find rest for your souls. If you've heard me this morning and you'd say, I don't think I've ever known Jesus in this way. I don't know if I've ever really found rest in Jesus before. I'm not sure if I've ever had a relationship with him. Well, you can do that today. Today, you can come to Jesus for the first time and you can find rest for your souls. Listen to me. You don't have to keep carrying the weight of the world around on your shoulders. You don't have to keep carrying that guilt around, that shame around. Whatever it is in your life, Jesus wants to take it from you this morning. Jesus died on the cross to purchase you from sin. And he wants you. He came to pursue you. So this morning, call out to Jesus and be saved. If you have questions about that, come and talk to me afterwards or talk to somebody at your table. One of our, uh, one of our leaders here at the church, they'd be happy to help you. What we're going to do is we're going to have a time, and, and I want you guys to, to get with your tables, and we're going to do something a little bit different. Instead of discussion questions, I want you to get with your tables, and, and core team, if uh, you guys can make sure I've got one of you at least at each table. Um, and um, we're going to get with our tables, and I want you to pray for each other.